Open the podcast doors, Hal. It's Kubrick's Universe, the Stanley Kubrick Podcast. Mark this, and come what will of it. I will fight the man who pretends the hand of Nora Brady. I'll follow him if it's into the church. I'll have his blood, or he'll have mine. The boy must go into hiding just for a short time till matters are blown over. The poor child has never been away from home in his life. All clever young fellows who are free and able are hereby invited to step up. My name is Redmond Barry. A ruined lad. And send me to the devil. You are a liar. You're an imposter. You're a deserter. He seems to me little more than a common opportunist. I don't think he loves my mother at all. So you just heard the trailer from Barry Lyndon, which is, of course, the film that marked the beginning of a longtime collaboration and friendship between Stanley Kubrick and our guest for this very special series of episodes, Leon Vitale. This is our second in a series of interviews which Leon was kind enough to give us at Kubrick's Universe. And coming up, you're going to hear Leon chat with us about his first introduction to Stanley, as well as, of course, his work on Barry Lyndon. Now, our show's producer, Stephen Rigg, once again manned the boards ever so deftly for this ongoing talk, allowing me to kick back and just chat with Leon without having to worry me head over any technical concerns whatsoever. And, of course, we did continue our conversation beyond the episode you're about to hear, as we, of course, needed more satisfaction. And we do look forward to bringing those chats to you guys in the very near future. But, without further ado, here's part two. Uh, We want to go back to the beginning of, of your uh, introduction to Stanley, of course, being on Barry Lyndon, and prior right. to pr- prior to that introduction, mm-hmm. you were working quite regularly on UK TV from about the age of twenty. Uh, before you got mm-hmm. the call to on his next film, of course, Barry right. Lyndon, and that shot between seventy three and seventy four, and you were about twenty five. Is that correct? About yeah, twenty five yeah, years old. Yeah. So yeah. Describe for our listeners, if you wouldn't mind, like a little bit about your Barry Lyndon audition and how the process right. went. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, uh, I w- just after I'd uh, left drama school, I saw Clockwork Orange, you know. Um, and for me, it was like 
an amazing experience, uh, you know, different from the one I'd had with 2001, because that's something unique uh, in itself. But what I saw was, you know, the acting, you know, McDowell and, and, and everybody, you know, I mean, how big and broad and bold it was. Yes. You know, it wasn't this sort of underplaying, you know, naturalizing kind of, it was like everybody's psychosis was on, on display, you know, from the moment that you first see them on screen, you know? And, um, it, it, I just, I just, I was so blown away with it. And I was watching it with somebody and I, and she did turn to them. This is absolutely true. And I said, I want to work for that man. You know, I really did uh, thinking as an actor, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, I was, I was working on a, um, a production called Catholics, uh, which was a, uh, made for TV film, uh, in Ireland, you know, and had Martin Sheen and, uh, Trevor Howard, Cyril Cusack and, yeah. and you know, Michael Gambon. I mean, can you imagine mm-hmm. uh, I, not long out of drama school and I'm standing in the middle of that. Right. And watching all these <laughs> wonderful actors who I'd sort of been watching most of my life, you know, and um, and suddenly I, I heard on the grapevine that Stanley was going to be making shooting a film in Ireland, and I hadn't heard anything even on the grapevine about it before. So I talked to my agents and, and said, you know, he's making a you know film in Ireland, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I want to audition for it. I, w- I w- want to. And, you know, it's one of those things when I saw 2001, for instance, I thought I'd have given anything, anything to be mm-hmm. one of those apes, mm-hmm. you know, just to be one of those apes, uh, <laughs> you know, just to be a part of it, you know. And that's what I felt about, you know, Barry Lyndon. If I only had a scene, right, that would be wonderful enough, you know. And, um, and but a lot, quite quite a bit of time went by, and suddenly he was he was auditioning actors in London, and I know that he actually started had started shooting, and it was of course all the trades and what have you, and Ryan O'Neill and and blah blah blah, and um, and so I went, uh, my agent put me up for an audition, and this was really unusual um, in the whole process because usually you know when you went for a film audition or, you know, um, you'd go there and you'd meet either, you know, the casting director with the producer of the film and all the director mm-hmm. and you'd hand over a 10 by eight. You'd sit there with them hand over a 10 by eight. And then you hand over, you know, your history as, as an actor and they'd look at it and they'd say, very nice. Okay. Um, thank you for coming in. And that was generally the last you heard of it. You know, mm. this suddenly I got through the mail on, you know, about four days before I was going to audition. I got, I got the dialogue that was going to be used in the scene. And so it meant I had a chance to kind of look at it and, and sort of try and take on board what it, what it all meant, you know, for mm. one of a better way of putting it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the other thing that surprised me is when I actually went for that audition, that Stanley was nowhere to be seen. <laughs> and I thought, this is weird. <laughs> this is very strange. Right. But instead, what he had was, you know, it was the first time I'd ever experienced about doing an audition on video. And I think he was one of the very first person people to, to do that. Oh, how in, cool. In the UK, you know. Yeah. And I just thought, this is fantastic. Because you're not there 
trying to impress him and, uh, you know, just being nice, you know, hey, old fellow, well met. Or, yeah, yes, yes. Or whatever it was. Or or trying, you know, you, know, you hear it's, a, it's about a, a sensitive uh, role. So you sit there pretending you're uber sensitive, you know, throughout <laughs> the interview. This, this was about the practicality of a text that you've had in your hand with a note that was on the text that was sent, which was learn these lines, which I understood later was actually Stanley's own, you know, writing, you know. Um, and so, you know, I kind of thought, well, I, I better learn these lines. And I did. And it was, it was almost for something that's, that's such a norm now. You, it was so surrealistic an experience at that time, you know, 1973 or four, whatever it was. You were you were you were at the vanguard of something that, as you say, is you know very de rigueur nowadays. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. And that, and that it was a, it was basically a dual purpose screen test. Yeah, not just an exactly. audition of, of how you know your lines. Yes, and, no, and no, exactly. Now that's, that's something you know. When I started doing that side of it for Stanley, you realized how valuable it was as a. Uh, you know, a first assessment, you know, you know, you know, it wasn't a question of sort of thinking, okay, let's see what this guy's got. You know, the way they came prepared for the audition told you a lot about the person already, you know, and I was so thoroughly prepared. And then I got called back, you know, and uh, it was the same again. And the fact of the matter was, you know, there was when I started only one scene of a dialogue scene for me and a couple of pass by shots just to establish who I was, you know? Yeah. Um, but as we went on and, you know, from the very first day, I can't tell you, it was, it was so weird because I'd expected to, you know, to meet a man who smoked cigars and was American and brash and, you know, <laughs> kind of shouted all over the place. And, right. <laughs> and, right. and in fact, yeah, I almost had to keep saying, sorry, say that again, say that again, right. you know, because he was so soft and so kind of, right, you know, talking like this, you know, and, and you kind of thought, well, actually we're talking and we're not just sort of displaying, you know, yeah. what the power structure is here, you know, you actually had felt like there's a communication and that started on day one oh, how and um, with him and, you know, he got me down what he did, which was so smart. Uh, really was um, he uh, he gave me a text to learn, which was happened to be it ended up in the film as you know the way I the thing I say to to Lady Lyndon you know before I got beaten up you know and um, by Ryan you know mm-hmm, this concert mm-hmm. and um, and I was we spent several days on that scene and and um, we broke for lunch one day and he said uh, Leon don't you stay here I want to have a word with you. And honestly, I went ice cold because there were people mm. who started shooting on Stanley's films who actually was, well, thanks very much. It didn't really work out. You know? Let go. Yeah. And we must have been, yeah, the worst feeling in the world. Mm. And I thought, this is it. This is it, yeah. you know. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. And so I was all geared up for the shop. And he just said, he got a cigarette. And so, you know, yeah. <laughs> so he's sitting in the middle. <laughs> And we sit in the middle of this huge room where they with all these Van Dykes and God knows what all mm. over the wall. Every you know, not an inch of wall space with all these 
masters from the 15th, 16th, 17th centuries hanging around us. And we sit in the middle of this room smoking cigarettes. And he said, you know, he just said, you know, I've been watching you and I, I really like the way that you kind of uh, approach everything. He said, you, you know, when we have a break, you know, setting up a new situation, you seem to be working on, you know, you're walking around working on your, your dialogue and what have you. So um, I'm, I'm going to tell you that I'm deciding going to keep you here, you know, to the end of the movie. I'm going to write a whole bunch of scenes for you and you'll be here to the end of the movie. And he said, what do you think? <laughs> and wow. it's probably the first time in my life I was speechless. I mean, I, 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 <laughs> and really, I mean, and I didn't want to sort of minimize it. In fact, I'm doing quite the opposite. You know, I, I have smoked some stuff in my life. I mean, I really have, which <laughs> okay. is, you know, Durban poison is probably the <laughs> the worst I ever did and uh, <laughs> sent me through a hoopla. But believe me, I mean, it was like getting a huge shot, you know, of, uh, I mean, I was somewhere yeah. floating. I was floating, and um, and it, it was extraordinary. And he said, "Listen, uh, I can see you're really interested in in everything. So, you know, if you want to just be on the set and, and watch, sometimes you know you can." Which was very rare for Stanley because right. if you didn't have something to do on a set, you shouldn't be there. That was right. the point, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so, I mean, it was a. And he used to keep me around, hanging around, you see, till five or six in the evening before they wrapped in full costume and makeup. And then he'd call me in and say, do you know those lines? And I'd say, yeah. He said, say them for me. And so I'd say them for him. And he'd, you know, put out his hand and shake my hand. He said, thanks, Leah. And that went on for ages before we actually shot a single shot of me. Yeah. You know? So I was constantly sitting on set for an hour, two hours, three hours at a time, and just watching how everybody, I mean, I suddenly realized there's hundreds of people here all working on the same thing and all kind of doing something to achieve the same path, you know, to follow that same path. Film and workers it, all. It was, yeah, and it was just a, an extraordinary experience to me because as an actor, you know, you come... You know, they say, oh, you're going to play this and your dates are, you know, you know, June 1st, or June 15th, you know, eight days over three weeks or whatever it is. And you come and you go and you've done it and you hopefully you've done it to the best of your ability. But when I saw all this going on, I was just thinking, wouldn't it be amazing to be a part of this from the very beginning mm-hmm. and to stay with it all the way through to the very end? Yeah. You know, to experience everything about it that you could experience, you know? And that was what hooked me, you know? That's what absolutely hooked me. So when when he, he told me he was going to you know, write all these scenes and what have you, it just meant I spent more and more time, you know, hanging around with him and talking with him. And believe me, I mean, you know, he was one of those people who always used to say, what do you think after everything he said? Yeah. You know? And he always encouraging you to, you know, say what you think. And even if it's dumb, there's no such thing as, as dumb. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's the way you're thinking and it might be correct or not correct or right or wrong or whatever it was. Right. He just right. encouraged, he, he kind of drew me and drew me out, you know. And that's the other thing. One could have been totally overawed, you know, a person, you know, like me, come from a small town called Leamington Spa and aspired to be an actor and, and you're working with your idol 
uh, you know, filmmaker, and not once did you ever feel anything more than, you know, well, okay, he's demanding something out of me. I better, I better give it. You know, mm. I better take this very, very seriously. You know, well, because and, on um, the back end, you knew he would ask you, "What do you think?" Yes, and yeah, that's beautiful. Exactly. That's beautiful. You know? I mean, whether it's a demand or not, by definition, you had faith and trust in the uh, friendship and the creative partnership that at the end he was going to genuinely want to know how you felt about it. Exactly. And, you know, that was something that it threw out, you know, all the time to the, you know, the day he died. It was always a constant there in our relationship, which was he'd say something and then. He'd look at me and he'd say, so what do you think? That's how he taught me about color timing. You know, you know he'd say, you know, right. we'd start off very, very slowly. And then he, he'd, you know, after a while, you know, a few you know, times doing it was, and we did it on every one of his films. He'd suddenly say, um, does, do you think this looks a bit contrasty or do you, can you see anything in the highlights? Mm -hmm. And if I said, yeah, I can see it's a little, it's a tiny bit green. And you say, yeah, right. And I hate green. <laughs> he said, I hate green. So I'm glad you spotted it. <laughs> you know? Wow. And, uh, and, and, and that's how it developed all the way through, which isn't to say that it was a, you know, a garden of Eden, because sometimes the way you would correct me was quite brutal, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> to be honest, mm -hmm. you know, depend, depending on when something happened and what was going on, you know, you could scream that you blew murder, but. He had faith that your your skin was thick enough to be able to handle it because you were uh, working towards the same goal. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. You know, it's one of the I things mean, you don't analyze until you know you go through the shock of a of a, <laughs> a, a, a an honesty kind of session with Stanley when things aren't going well. But we've all and then, we've then, all been you know, through. Uh, 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 experiences of what uh, they call tough love, whether it's from a parent or yeah. a, a, a school teacher who genuinely likes you and admires you, sees your 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 promise, and uh, you know mm -hmm. gives you the business because they know you can do this. And we've right. we've all yeah. been there, but no one quite uh, with your experience. And I I'm just uh, making a supposition by going back to when you first presented your audition on tape. And, right. and and then fast forward through the time where he expanded uh, the role of Lord Bullington to uh, Bullington to give you uh, you know a, a real chance to breathe and to make mm -hmm. the character as essential to the telling of the story of Barry Lyndon as we see in the right. finished film. That goes mm -hmm. back to what we were talking about before about an organic process. Exactly. And, Exactly. And I don't, I don't Absolutely. know if it gets better than that. Does it, does, does anything in art ever get better than that? Especially with collaboration? Not for me, not for me. Amen. You know, I mean, for, for me, it's, 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 it's the uh, gold standard, you know? I mean, I quite understand, you know, you can't, not every, you can't make every film that way, you know? You know, there's time and motions and studio you know, productions are very, very, you know, they'll have someone on set saying, well, you know, we've done four takes, five takes, and we've got to move on, you know? Right, right. And, um, and, and you know, there, there is a norm. It's a bit like, I kind of think, um, when I was uh, an actor, you know, stage, when you did you know, stage work at repertory theater, you know, you had two weeks or three weeks to rehearse. And then, right. and then you were off and running, and, and you realize that you kind of have to, 
you know, you have to cut your cloth, you know, to, to suit, you know, the material itself. And, you know, you have to be, it's a good form of discipline, you know. Yeah, well it said. Really is. I remember the Beatles were saying that, I remember Paul McCartney saying, you know, before they became, uh, you know, a recording studio band, basically how they, they finished, he said, um, you go in and uh, in an hour you'd lay down a track. And there was no fussing and, and fighting about it, you know. It was, this is how much time you got to get it, and mm-hmm. you got it. And he said, it, and it's true. It's a, it's a good exercise in, in discipline too, because there's nothing worse than seeing people, you know, sitting around and just chewing the fat. Well, we could do this, or we could yeah, do that. Yeah, and you just yep. think for sake, get up on your fucking feet, and oh, sorry, <laughs> uh, get no, up no, on no. your feet. Speak freely, Leon. <laughs> All right. Yeah, just get up and, and, and try it. And, and, you know, rather than talk about it, try it and, and see if it works and see if it leads you somewhere. I mean, so that's a that's a beautiful way to work. And, you know, and I know there are a lot of directors who, who wish they could wish they could get to that point and, and then do it. And there are a lot of painters who would love to take a year or two years on a, on a masterpiece or, or a novelist or, or an architect. I mean, all these things are, you know, I mean... It, you know, but it, the life's not always like that. It doesn't work out that no. way. So you've no. got to have, no. you know, that you realize that it sort of helps you even inside a long sort of period where you're, you know, gestating an idea. Yes. Inside that time period, you've got to, you've got to be moving. You've got to be fast on your feet. Yes. And you've yes. got to, you know, you know, even if it's just about a, a silence, you know, You've got to be thinking, you know, okay, I mean, what do I do? Do I make this an active thing? Do I make it, you know, what's the best way to respond or what's the best way to give, you know, that will help me, the other actor or whatever it is, you know. A little help you from know, my friends. They kind of brush, yeah, they're kind of the <laughs> brush strokes of life, you know. You know? Yeah, well, the, the 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 thing, when you brought up the Beatles, the thing it brought to mind, a couple of things is you were talking about, um, uh, working with deadlines and not kind of idling around. We could do this or we could do that. And right, uh, right. Two, two, two correlations I would draw with the Beatles since you brought them up is that, you know, for one thing, uh, the thing that always struck me and continues will always be there for me when I listen to the Beatles. And, and the Beatles, mm. I, I, I say emphatically, not only are my favorite band, but they have made my life richer and uh, yes. uh, made yes. me a better, made yes. me a better person, made me a better. And, yes. and, and, and their, their music, the, the breadth and scope of their entire catalog. If there's one mm. takeaway, if I'm forced to come up with one takeaway, it's that right. These guys knew somehow, even when they were just kids, they knew that the formula was to never be mm. formulaic. Yes, yes. And, yeah, and I, I see that I see that analogy, the correlation in Kubrick's work as well. If you look at the diversity, you can st- like the Beatles, you can still tell this is the work of Stanley Kubrick. This is the work right. of the Beatles. And the Beatles, this right. is my, my only other thought, because you were saying about working under pressure and not idling around. They, they had failed their first audition for Decca Records and were so eager to please uh, George Martin when they got their audition at EMI. Uh, right. and George Martin was, of course, he was recording Spike Milligan and, uh, Dudley That's Moore right, yeah. doing comedy That's records. Right. EMI said, okay, this is a, a, a band, a boy band that's going to come and go. We'll give 
Mr. Martin this job. And uh, they, they just walked in there and said, right, well, you know, we, we failed the first uh, audition. Uh, you know, let's knock this one out of the park. When they got the chance to record their first album, Please Please Me, I don't know if you know, right. they, they recorded that entire album in one session. It's estimated between yeah, 12 and a half, yeah, and 13 and a half hours straight through. That whole album was done in a day. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Incredible. And then I don't know if you've seen it. There's a wonderful documentary called The Making of Sgt. Pepper. Oh, of course. And oh, my God. Oh, my God. I mean, you realize, I mean, there was nothing they wouldn't try to make something work. I mean, it was astonishing, astonishing, you know, manipulating, you know, recording machinery in a way that never been done before, but which are now, you know, standard formulae, you know, inside yeah, music yeah. making. Yeah. It's it absolutely, I, it, I, every time I see that documentary, I just go, whoa, you know, wouldn't you like to be in a fly in a wall in that studio? Yeah, right, right, right. And they did it all on a four-track analog, uh, real film machine. <laughs> <laughs> you talk about, I but I want to, I want to move on. But that you know, that never yeah. ceases to amaze me when I discover that a Kubrick fan uh, uh, is also a huge Beatles lover, or and vice versa, because right. it's it's not about the methodology and all that we just discussed with uh, the formula not being formulaic. It, it, it right. touches upon a deeper aesthetic and uh, and so many other things that, you know, were visionary, groundbreaking. We could go on and on, but, um, Absolutely. you know, and, and there's that great quote of Stanley's in, I believe, the, uh, the, the 1968 Playboy interview where he talks about uh, two men from vastly different backgrounds uh, can have nothing in common except you put on a Beatles song that they both love. And they're going to become mm. friends. And I, I'm paraphrasing, but we um, we had the great fortune of uh, getting to interview David Morley, who, of course, played All right. young Brian Patrick Linden. And I yes. got to tell you, Leon, he spoke so ebulliently about his fond memories of working with you. And he even mentioned uh. just how great you were as like you know, uh, one of the big kids and we all had those growing up in, in the, uh, the sixties and the seventies, there were the big kids. Right. And he said, you drove them around in a, uh, I think it was a triumph spitfire. A sports yes. car. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you have any yeah. memories of, of David? I'm oh sure my God. Of course. Of course, of course, of course. And you know, uh, it's one of those things, you know, I wonder what he's doing now. And, and, you know, the same with, with Danny Lloyd, you know, I, when I saw him, it's the first time I'd seen him ever since we'd said goodbye at the London airport right. after we finished the shining, you know, and you look at him and it's the same eyes and mm. there's something very much the same, yeah. uh, in, in that personality and what have you. But at the same time, you kind of think, well, this is a person who is extremely mature. I mean, he is a professor uh, mm -hmm. at a Kentucky State University now, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And and you kind of think, you know, how, Those how eyes. fantastic, how wonderful. His eyes. and But also he had a, I realized he had a very down-to-earth way of, of thinking about, you know, that whole experience. I mean, he wasn't even quite four years old when I first met him. 
and this is the other thing, and I, 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 this is a bit risque to say, but I was talking with Milena Cananero, who, who was the costume you know, designer, along with Ulla um, 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 Sutherland, you know, and we were looking at David Morley, and she said, isn't it remarkable? He's absolutely the perfect proportion. You know, as a as a human being, everything you know, he didn't have gangly arms. He had arms yeah. that suited the size of of his body, and his Same. head wasn't too big yeah. or too little or whatever. Everything was sort of physically kind of perfect about him, and and he actually he wore the clothes. The clothes didn't wear him, so yes. to speak. You know, yes, I, and, I and it's such a a beautiful unconscious kind of thing about, you know, the way people can be from when they're very, very young. And so I, I do wonder, I mean, what's he doing? What does he do now? <laughs> I mean, David, is, David is a fortune. very, he's, well, he lives in Brussels. Uh, I believe he also has three uh, young kids of his own and he's been a, a very successful electronic musician for uh, the, the better part of three Whoa. decades now. Yeah. He's got Whoa. albums, iTunes and, uh, we Wonderful. became friends after, yeah, we, we had a great conversation, much like this, if I may say so. And anyway, right. he, uh, he, he and I just chatted a little bit on uh, Messenger on Facebook after we spoke. And uh, uh, he was right. so kind. He went and took the time to listen to some of my music. And I could tell he genuinely oh, wow. gave it some thought. And I, uh, 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 you know, reached out to him and told him, you know, that I've, I've always been you know, a rock and roll guy, but I have this real penchant for electronic music and I'd love to pick your brain. Uh, cause nice. I listen, to, I listen to his stuff and he's just great. And you know, all of that being said, he just has great memories of your time together. And it, did you have any recollections of like your time off the set or again, driving around in the no. spitfire? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. No, ab absolutely. I mean, for me, you know, that, that whole period, I mean, my initial contract was 13 days over eight weeks and I was there for like eight, almost eight months. And it was, it was like a, a beautiful, what can I say? If I say summer of love, you know, mm -hmm. the whole feeling, I mean, when we traveled from one location to the other, which was normally one stately home to the next stately home, to uh -huh. the next stately home, it was like, you know the the scenes you saw, or you know, the film you saw of the Emerson, Lake and Palmer, you know road shows. <laughs> you know it was yeah. truck after truck after truck yeah. after truck after truck, and car after car after I, car I after get car. The reference, that's great. You know, and so, <laughs> and and so there was a lot of you know moving into new locations and hanging out, just hanging out, you know, with people and and. You know, spend a lot of time with you know David and and his family, his brother and and his mom and dad. You know, yeah. and um, and it was it, it was just a a wonderful, remarkable time and one of the most beautiful times because it seemed like there was nothing in my life to worry about. You know, I mean, That's there really wasn't. You know, it was just just gorgeous the whole thing and. David, of course, you know, he's part of that. He's part of that. And, and you know, something that always strikes me when the other, the other day, uh, or last week, um, Arliss Howard came to LA and, uh, who played uh, cowboy in Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Now I had, I had not seen him in 30 years and this is absolutely normal and par for the course. When we actually met, it was like, 
we were two survivors from a protracted war. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, you, you suddenly you, you meet each other and I you go, it. "Oh my God, you, yeah. you survived! And you're, alive. you're alive! You're alive! You're <laughs> alive!" <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's, it's exactly the feeling you you got. And you know what's been wonderful for me this experience with with film worker is I've met people who you know were apprentice camera guys on Full Metal Jacket, and now they're grown up adults and they're working very successfully inside the business. And you meet and you feel exactly the same buzz. You think how great, how fantastic, you know, because when you spend that amount of time together, you're part of your family. There's no doubt about it. Uh, you become, you know, you know everything about each other on the most superficial of <laughs> of ways, and you always promise, yeah, here's my phone number and here's my email and whatever. You're always going to contact each other, but somehow you never do. And next thing you know, thirty years have gone past, and there they are standing in front of you, That's and beautiful. you just think this is a beautiful thing. This is a beautiful thing. It's, you know, and yeah. So oh my God, I'm so happy to hear that. You know what he's doing and yeah, yeah he said he was such a bright spark you know he was such a bright spark and um at the time you know very alert very kind of you know trigger you, he was like a trigger you could you know p- push the standing you had to push the button and off he went he was just absolutely yeah fantastic, yeah you know? well i mean even just from a viewer's perspective it, it, it's it's always struck me that um the performances that you and uh, uh, David gave are really the, I mean, I don't want to uh, uh, put anyone under the bus, but it's, it, it, you know, nothing at all like that. It's just that you guys really, the more I've watched that movie countless times, obviously, duh, right, but yeah, yeah. you guys are the heart and soul of what makes the story work and the propulsion right. of the, the storyline and everything. It all hinges upon whether or not you guys, uh, brought what you did to those roles and i i think they will always speak for themselves they're just phenomenal timeless performances and there i'm i'm done gushing about it <laughs> oh, oh, thank you but i mean, yeah, I, no, mean but... I may talk a lot but i mean everything i say leon <laughs> you know what you, you know something for me you know when i think you know when i was when we were shooting barry linden and there were all these wonderful, wonderful actors like Andre Morel and, you know, people who had maybe two or three scenes, but counted, counted. I mean, for everything that you, every minute that they were on screen counted for, you know, what they contributed to the story as characters, you know, in the the sort of plotless life of Barry Lyndon, of this philanderer and Mm -hmm. and overambitious boy from Ireland, you know, who, felt that he could join the aristocracy where in actual fact the aristocracy was saying, yeah, sure, come in, we'll take your money and uh, thank you and goodbye, you know, and and it was just, it's just a, a wonderful, what can I say? It's just, uh, I, I don't know how to put it, it, it because it, it's a process. It's a process. It happens that way, you know, right. and, um, you know, and, and there's no, there's no real way of explaining it. It's like trying to explain what makes an actor tick for you. You know, yeah, you can say, Oh, yeah. well, he's good looking or he's very dynamic or you know, this or that. But when you put the whole together, you kind of saying, well, what, what is it in particular? And that's very hard to put your finger on. Mm-hmm. Like Daniel mm-hmm. Day Lewis, you try, you try to say, 
what is it about Daniel Day-Lewis that makes him, so far as I'm concerned, you know, premier, premier, premier actor. Yeah. And you look at every role he plays, and of course, every role you think, oh, this is Daniel Day-Lewis, except you don't think of Daniel Day-Lewis. You say, oh, this is Lincoln. This is Lincoln, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is Woodcock, (laughs) you know. Daniel Daniel Plainview, of course, and There Will Be Blood. Yes, of course, and and it's it's rather like somebody explained about Stanley's pictures that they're none of them the same, but somehow they're all Stanley's pictures, and the Beatles were the same. Exactly. You know, yes. Music. I'm glad you brought. Yes, you but they're all back. somehow the yep. Beatles. You yep. recognize them as, yeah, and absolutely, and and that's think a garage a garage mechanic. I met garage mechanics who I would call artists because they can feel their way through a, a problem in an engine. They just know, you know, there's an instinctive side of them that can trace any fault in yeah. any way that it's working through an engine. And, you know, I worked as a, a bricklayer's, uh, you know, a laborer for a bricklayer in my school vacations, you know, um, building sites. And this guy, he knew every every single bonding combination there was, you know, Swedish bond, Flemish bond, Mm-hmm. This Cotswold bond and what have you, and uh, everything he did, everything I was there with him, you know, hodding his bricks up to the tenth floor of a, a ladder, which is one of the most right. scary, you know, <laughs> things I've ever done in my life, and just watching him do it, and yeah. and you just think, my God, this is, you know, this guy's an artist. I mean, in his own way, you know, it's astonishing. Well, I mean, there, there, there's people like that. If we just keep our eyes open and our ears as we yes. move through life, yeah. And and that no, goes back. There, there, there two, there's a point there um, within the context of Barry Lyndon because when we spoke with David Morley, um, he uh, he of course uh, mentioned it in a, a few occasions uh, during that uh, his, during the filming that his relationship with Ryan O'Neill was very similar to an actual father-son type of relationship on set that Ryan had really right. taken him under his wing. And this was a bit of a different dynamic than what uh, David had described as taking place with Marisa Berenson, who was right. this distant, you know, goddess-like figure. Um, and this yes. is to say the atmosphere on that set seemed to allow for the very for want of a better word, a real chemistry uh, to develop on the screen. And it definitely happens. Definitely happens yes, yes. between you two. Yes. So that, yes, yeah, yeah, that being yeah. said, you're, you, you, you're great to share with the, us the, 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 the stuff about David. And I want, uh, I'd be loath to uh, leave out asking about your relationship with uh, Ryan and Marisa as actors rather than the characters yeah. you were playing. Did you guys get on, oh. on the set? Oh, yeah. Uh, let me tell you something. I found Ryan to be extremely generous as an actor, to, you know, working on set together, extremely generous. And he was, you know, to the point where I remember when we were in the, the barn doing the duel scene, you know, Stanley said, he said, oh, you know, maybe we don't need this shot of, of Leon just here. And Ryan said, are you kidding? I mean, he's acting his socks off. I mean, I can mm-hmm. see it, you know, off camera. He's you know, and, and, you know, and Stanley sort of, you know, said, oh, okay, well, maybe, maybe we'll keep it then. And we did, you know, just, you know, these cutaways and stuff like that. And he was, he was so generous, uh, you know, 
Mr. Linden, these are matched pair of pistols, and as you have seen, your second has loaded one, and I have loaded the other. But as they belong to Lord Bullingdon, you may have whichever one you wish. Lord Bullingdon? Now, gentlemen, to determine who will have first fire, I will toss a coin in the air. And again, as the offended party, it is Lord Bullingdon's choice to call the toss. Is that agreeable to both of you? Yes. If Lord Bullingdon calls correctly, he will have the first fire. If incorrectly, Mr. Linden will have the first fire. Is that clearly understood? What is your call, Lord Willingdon? Heads. It is heads. And Lord Bullingdon will have the first fire. Lord Bullingdon, will you take your ground? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Mr. Linden, will you take your ground? Mr. Linden, are you ready to receive Lord Bullingdon's file? your pistol and prepare to fight. Sir Richard, this pistol must be faulty. I must have another one. I'm sorry, Lord Bullingdon, but you must first stand your ground and allow Mr. Linden his turn to fire. That is correct, Lord Bullington. Your pistol has fired, and that counts as your shot. And also, we got along pretty well, you know, off, you know, off stage too. You know, we sort of hung out together, um, you know, occasionally, and we had dinner together occasionally, and not just in fancy restaurants, but you know. 
this, you know, goddamn forsaken restaurant in some bad hotel we were staying in. Sure, you sure. know, I mean, it was... So Marisa also was very... I mean, she was a very private person. I mean, mm. that has to be said. Um, but whenever we were on set and whenever we were, you know, in the same place, you know, open, friendly, and, and uh, not at all, you know, um, standoffish in any way, just very... Very, very, very pleasant and fun to be with, you know. And um, you know, so in a way, you know, I didn't really naively, maybe, you know, I didn't expect it to be any other way than than that, you know. I think it sometimes depends on how you yourself enter into a situation in a, in a relationship, you know, yeah, what you're yeah. open to, or if you've got a preconceived idea. It's just going to mean there's going to be no particular communication whatsoever. You said when you walk on the set, you know, and it can work for some people, you know. <laughs> right, right. You know, so, yeah. But okay, yeah. so now this yeah. is this is of course, Leon. If it if it's not okay to ask, I don't don't answer it. Well, cut it out. But it's of course the hundred thousand dollar question for the listeners: Are there scenes mm-hmm. from Barry Lyndon that you shot which are not in mm-hmm. the finished picture? Yeah, I mean, the very first scene, you know, that I shot was a, a scene that was never used uh, simply because it was superseded by the way Stanley developed the character, you know, yeah. um, which was uh, when I, I'm reading Hamlet to my mother and I'm reading the speech by Hamlet where he's hammering Gertrude about, you know, what a disloyal and, <laughs> and you know, superficial bitch she is, you know. Yes. <laughs> and the way, the way that she married her husband's brother after her husband, her husband's brother and murdered her husband, you know. Right. And, and how, how she went so, so fully into it and so quickly and, and what kind of person is that? Um, and, you know, I, I, I read it to... Uh, to Marisa, you know, Lady Lyndon, and she begins to understand what her firstborn son actually thinks of her, and she gets up and runs out, you know, crying in, in shame, you know. Yeah. And yeah. that was that was superseded because, you know, Stanley wrote so many scenes which led up to that point in the in the the ballroom scene where Bullingdon actually does unleash himself, you know, mm-hmm. in public, in public rather than in private. Uh, so that didn't make it. And um trying to think of, apart from that, I can honestly say that's the only scene that I recall shooting that was not used in, in some part in the movie. Mm. Um, um, and I think that had to do really with the fact that Stanley's sort of gone, aha, I can do something here. And so everything, you know, wasn't written at a distance of, you know, writing a character who do we get to play this character uh you know he he was already beginning to understand i'm sounds a bit egocentric i don't mean it to be but i was pretty malleable as an actor you know I right mean, right uh, i was always willing to try anything you know and you uh, stanley saw that yeah you have to be and stanley saw that and uh and so every scene that was written you know at the time i was from the time i was there you know had a purpose at the moment of of mm. shoot, I mean, some some scenes were written you know, like we sat in the duel scene for the duel scene. Stanley and Ryan and I sat in the caravan, reading books about the history of dueling and mm-hmm. finding you know great ways in which 
I and mean, one of them was, you know, one of the ways they used to duel was, you know, two people who had this uh, disagreement sitting in a bag of a carriage and one hand would be strapped to the one hand of the opponent and in the other hand were knives. And then the carriage was sent around the block and whoever had hacked <laughs> each other wow. to death when it got round. I mean, but that's how wow. brutal it was. And, yep. and listen, you know, this is the thing, you know, you could be insulted as one of the, you know, the higher echelon. If someone so much as tripped over you, know, this long sword that was hanging by your side at court, you know, yeah, or whatever yeah. it was. It, you had it, to it, receive be, satisfaction. You had to receive satisfaction. And you thought, well, practicality would say, well, we better shorten these swords because it's a needless loss of life. Wow. <laughs> no, they made them longer. It was a, it was a way, you know, I, I guess it was a passage of life, you know, that mm. these people went through and death meant uh, something completely different to them than it does to us now. And we can have no perception of it really right. in our reality. You know, to how these people, I mean, lifespan was, you know, for, for a long time, you know, 35, 40 years old, yep. Yep. you know, that was it. And, um, and so, you know, we think of, we think of it in an entirely different way, life now, than they, of course they did. Uh, but the same rules apply in a way, you know. Um, it's just so they, it's, once they went from uh, daggers to, uh, you know, the invention of the uh, uh, of the flint pistol, you know. Yes. Ball and exactly. flint, and then it's it, ten it, paces. Yes, exactly. Well, I mean, it goes without saying that that scene is the, is, is the, the, the pumping heart of the entire story and it all builds to that. And from my, my, to my mm. way of thinking, there is absolutely no better way. It almost as though, not that I would question, you know, Kubrick's editing choice, it almost as if the movie could have ended right there. I, I just think it's such a, a, a powerful and, and a strangely cathartic moment. Um, mm. The way mm. that Lord Bullingdon, you know, uh, he, 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 you know, Ryan O'Neill doesn't, uh, you know, he fire upon him and then he's expecting, you know, yes. he'll be treated in kind. It's just, oh, it's poetry defined. Yes. Are you ready, Lord Bullington? Is your pistol cocked, Mr. Linden? Yes. Then prepare to fire. One. Two. Lord Bullingdon, in view of Mr. Linden having fired into the ground, do you now consider that you have received satisfaction? I have not received satisfaction. 
and this is the other conundrum that I've always felt stood out in in that story was that Bullingdon actually had right on his side, but there was no there's no sympathy for him and mm-hmm. why he does what he does. Yes, and yet yeah, Ryan O'Neill was awful. He, he was deceitful. He was dishonest. Mm-hmm. He was a bully. He was everything, and yet when you see him limping out to get into that coach you know, with one leg missing. Yeah. <laughs> and he realized that all his ambition has gone. It's yeah. gone. And yeah. most of it is of his own making. Mm-hmm. There's more sympathy for him <laughs> than there is for the person who, who was actually wronged in the, in the first place. And, and yeah. that's, a, I think that's an amazing thing about, about that film and about any film that sort of has these, questions you know okay he may be right but so what i mean what kind of person was he and and i i disagree i don't think the film could have ended there because it had to end with lady linden uh, well of looking, course you know at, yeah this pay at this payment she has to make and she looks up and she it's almost as like we've just gone through the story through her eyes that Okay, he was a rogue and he was an asshole. He was this, he was that. Yeah, yeah. But at least life, life, life had something. It was exciting. The know. scene with with Marisa signing the check. You know, she's going through check it, mm. and then she come. You know, it's just like another document, and only yes. this one is for Barry Lyndon to receive his guineas to stay in Ireland. Yes. and and the look on her and that final shot. It, no, it could not have ended better. I was fortunate enough to be at the uh, uh, event in April last year in uh, Manhattan where they had uh, uh, the, sh- the Barry Lyndon screened with a, a live orchestra. And, oh, I heard about that, yeah. Oh, Leon, I wish you could have been there, man. I got to tell you, it was like 3,200 people packed a house for a, a, a film from 1975. And I know. That, that final scene, like, you can feel everybody just kind of drawing this big breath like uh like you know this this strange elation that it's 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 the relief it's it's we've come to that point in our story we have satisfaction as viewers and then yes. it just says you know it has stanley's name and over 3000 people give it a standing ovation and i got it on my, yeah. on my iPhone. it was so no, beautiful I, yeah, I- I wish I had been there. I really yeah, do. I, I was. But he, I was there but too. Was there. Incredible. Yep. Adam was. Sorry there. about that. That, that was a garbage truck that just passed. Um, <laughs> no worries. <laughs> how, metaphor, LA... how metaphorical. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but no. Right, Leo, but you know, you, you, you brought me. To, you brought me to something which I'm. I'm really sort of anxious to get across, and I. I tell everybody who, yeah. you know, when a get, conversation gets deep, you know, when Barry Lyndon came out, it was absolutely flayed alive, you know, by the yeah. critics. Um, I, I, you know, it, it's a strange thing, and I'm not bullshitting here, you know, that I was so disappointed for Stanley, mm. you know, rather than, you know, what it meant for me, because in actual fact, you know, I, after Barry Lyndon, I... All those ambitions that I had, like joining, the, being part of a national theatre or RS, you know, Royal Shakespeare Theatre, or anyway, it, it, they were coming and they were coming thick and fast, yeah. you know. And I just felt so bad for Stanley. And I saw him, you know, uh, several times around about when the film was released, and uh, he was hurt. I mean, emotionally hurt, you know. Mm-hmm. 
And, and you know, the funny thing was that when Eyes Wide Shut was released, we got the same thing all over again. That, mm-hmm. you know, people didn't get it. And But when I was in New York um, at the Metropole, and I was hanging outside talking to these young kids of, you know, film school and what have you, and I cannot tell you, I had these 19, 20, 21 year olds, you know, coming out saying, saw Eyes Wide Shut the other day. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite movie. It's my mm-hmm. favorite movie. And it's moving in the same way trajectory as Barry Lyndon has done over the years. Yep. It's gone from, you know, a very elite kind of viewership yeah. and appreciation to people thinking, oh no, this is a film that everyone can relate to in one way or another. And it's and, beautifully shot and beautifully And like done films and like The Shining, the, well, The Shining and, of course, Clockwork Orange in 2001 managed to right. uh, slip into popular culture references mm. on TV and music and uh, et cetera. Um, and yeah. you're right. Ultimately, Eyes Wide Shut and Barry Lyndon have as well. It's just that sometimes yeah. the public's a little slow on the uptake, not to make a broad statement about everybody, but, you know, that's the, the uh-huh. way uh, it can be. And, you know, this is the, one of the last questions I have for, about Barry Lyndon. Uh, it, you know, so James has been, uh, as I mentioned, you know, really uh, at the vanguard with Stanley Kubrick Appreciation Society. And he's just an incredible researcher. And only today, since you were just talking about this, only today, it's interesting, but I have a post he shared in SCAS. Um, and I'm going to read it to you because it's, it's, it's to your point. He says, convince me that Barry Lyndon, now he's asking the, the membership, convince me that Barry mm. Lyndon was a quote unquote flop or a box office disappointment. He writes, I have heard this repeated so many times. I know that navigating general Google searches is not scientific with what adjustments for future revenue, international versus domestic, reliability of lists on the web, etc. But the general consensus I get from checking a bunch of sites is that it did come in somewhere between the 18th and 22nd highest grossing films of 1975, and it had about 75% of the revenue that A Clockwork Orange had and right. had made had made at least two times as much as the budget required to make Barry Lyndon. So for a three-hour right. period piece, James yes. writes very aptly, you know, and, and one that turns many people off, that seems, in James's words, that seems very, fairly successful to me, relatively anyway. Yes. What more, and he, so he asks yes. the members, what more could Stanley and the studio have expected? What, you know, could it be that when we hear people repeat variations of, oh, it was a disappointment at the time that maybe they just have a touch of what, you know, James calls uh, opinion fever and are only Mm -hmm. kind of, they're only kind of repeating what they've heard others say now with the internet and social media. Cause to uh, conclude, James says, seems it may not have been the flop we recall after all. Right. 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 And and he says, uh, go ahead, change my mind. (laughs) No, no, I think you see that that was perception even Stanley uh, sort of held. And I remember in the early 90s, the BBC um, ran uh, all of Stanley's films from Lolita right through to, you know, uh, Full Metal Jacket at that time. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time, you know, and what they did, they, Philip Norman, I think his name was, and uh, he was the doyen of English film critics. And um, 
he had a little paragraph about each and every film, you know, that they were playing that week. And, you know, he starred them, you know, five stars being tops right. and one star right. being bottom. And, you know, all of Stanley's films got five stars, including Barry Lyndon. And the, the odd thing was that 2001 got four stars. And, and Barry Norman, that was his name, Barry said, Barry Norman said, the reason I've done this is because for me, Barry Lyndon was the true Odyssey story. It was about one person actually oh. going through life as, as it is, you know, not in isolation, uh, but, you know, having to deal with the mores of, of, you know, whatever world he was trying to inhabit. So more actually you know? Homerian. More, yes, more like, yes, oh, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And, but I kind of understood, I've always understood, um, and I used to talk with Stanley about this, because when Barry Lyndon came out, Stanley had overrun you know, his, his shooting, his production, his post-production and everything. And by the time Barry Lyndon came out, what was de rigueur at the time was, you know, dog day afternoon, right. bullet, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, you know, uh, all these action, uh, movies and, um, you know, fast moving pace and, and it was all the rage. That's what you could say about that period of filmmaking, you know, right. Uh, it, it was all the range. And I think, people kind of saw Barry Lyndon because, you know, however slow, you know, we, we walked at two miles an hour and any scene in Barry Lyndon, you know, it was not exactly an action film in the way we think about action film today. It wasn't bullet. And so, and so, you know, when you, you're fighting, it it comes to this thing where um, there's, and even, you know, filmmakers believe this and Stanley certainly believes that, that, you know, if you miss the spot, you know, I'll take something, something like a wartime lies, which was going to be called Aryan papers. Mm-hmm. You know, if you miss that spot where that film is going to resonate, you know, um, it's, it's, it'll find it, it's find its cycle again. But, uh, you know, if you haven't started it, don't start it then right. at that point, because it's not gonna, it's not gonna have the resonance that you wanted to have at the time you you've made it and released it. But it's it's time you keep it. And so I Stanley kept, you know, um, um, eyes wide shut. You know, he kept that from when he was a young man, understanding that one day he would make that film. And right. the time came round when he felt he could make that film, and he did make that film. And, but there again, the length of time that it took to make that film, we, he was kind of landed just outside, you know, what was going down at the, at the time as, as popular movies, you know? Yeah. But yeah. that's the thing. Stand, Stanley's films always have legs. And so they're always going to be referred back to and, and looked at again. And if you look at a film like The Shining, you can turn on your television channel surf and there it is. It's yeah. unreal, there yep. it is. isn't it? It, it, it? it really is. And you look at Full Metal Jacket, you know, and you realize that that was Stanley's most popular theatrical success. Yeah. You know, for, for on its first release, you know, and, and you can look at every single film he made and you realize that whatever the reason was why it was became successful, if it didn't become successful straight away, it became successful later on because yeah. there's substance to it. 
there's substance to every single one of his movies. And they're not always heroic substances, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, they're very yeah. Much like, it's like Balzac for me. It's like comedy humane, you know? Right. Balzac wrote all these books about the, the ridiculousness of, of, of human behavior and what it costs us, you know? Exactly. And, um, and that's what I, I really do believe that that was really the path that Stanley was on, whether he was aware of Balzac or which he was, of course, or not, you know? But yeah. It was, and he, and he was famously said, I don't do jokes. Well, he didn't do jokes, but if you look at Barry Lyndon, one of the funniest things in it is when, you know, I get beaten up in that ballroom and you see the cream of the aristocracy yes. of England in one pile, like a rugby scrum, yeah, right. with no, <laughs> no dignity whatsoever, <laughs> you know, and it's just a short shot and he doesn't make anything of it. You know, no, other not. than what was, what was going on, he didn't make a point. He didn't hear yeah. you. You see that point for yourself if you're tuned in to, you know, the the the, the heart heartbeat yes. of the movie. No, but that is and that the, is Balzac, and, and right there, yes. I mean, encapsulated as is the ending of of Strange Love, the ridiculousness of human behavior. <laughs> absolutely, 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 completely, yeah. And it's okay if uh, there's anything you're not comfortable talking about. During the shooting of Barry Lyndon, of course, the famous uh, threats from the IRA. And we're just wondering, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, do you, yeah, do you feel okay talking about that experience? Yeah, yeah well, I mean, I, in actual fact, it didn't really touch me because um, I didn't actually, I wasn't part of the schedule at that time. Yeah, okay. I've, got, I've got to say something about all that. You know, apparently it was blown and there was a, a, a note left. The safe was blown and there was a note left and, mm -hmm. you know, you get out of Ireland or what have you. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it seemed, you know, now I think about it after all these years, I mean, I was never going to be a part of the Irish shoot anyway, you know. Everything, <laughs> pretty, right. it seems, there's a little bit of you that kind of thinks, oh, <laughs> wait a minute. Oh, now we're shooting in England and all the scenes are in England. <laughs> what can this mean? <laughs> right. I take it that you didn't you did not ask a, a, a series of questions about why this was transpiring. The move. Well, no, I should, I should tell you something. No, no. I mean, because I just took I just took it as red, you know, mm. that that's what ha what happened. And maybe it did. I don't know, because the thing was at that time. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't, every day you heard a bomb going off or every night you heard yeah, a bomb going yeah, off. Yeah. And so you just wow. took everything for granted, you know, that right. any, anything loud that happened was the IRA, you know, <laughs> you know, wow. so, um, we never really sort of, I never, I never thought twice about it, you know, um, except to say, think, you know, Oh yeah. All oh, right. Okay. Yes. Well, maybe it's a good idea not to shoot an island. And <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. And now, yeah, yeah. did did you ever have any conversations with Stanley about uh, how he he felt about going through the experience, either during or after? Well, uh, no. I mean, the only thing you know, it did come up when we were shooting the jewel scene, and and one of the. Uh, sort of guys, you know, one of the seconds, I can't remember which one it was, you know, who was, you know, doing the guns and everything, you know, mm -hmm. sort of talked about, I think they brought it up somehow, and Stanley was just talking about, 
you know, how scary it was and that he got out, he got out as soon as he heard, you know, and he got a phone call. I mean, he was gone the next day. He was mm-hmm. by the next day. Actually. And that's really all he ever sort of mentioned about it. And all the, all the years I was working for him, um, you know, I never heard anything more about it from him anyway. It wow. was just always became like a piece of folklore almost, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, really. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I, well, I, I imagine that's something that uh, as a father and husband, you would probably want to just keep as uh, low key and private as. as yeah, possible. yeah. What he did, he had, he had his he had his wife and his, his kids with him, right. actually, which is, you know, um, yeah, yeah. They'd been sort of Christiana was out and about painting and, you know, landscapes and God knows what. So I suppose it was. As loose as any information might have been, you just thought, "Well, yeah, get out of there." <laughs> wow, you don't want to be hanging around, yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if Adam recalls, but I, I'm old enough to remember, and uh, as a teenager in the '80s, that uh, there were still headlines in the U.S. quite often about the IRA conflict and bombs going oh, yeah. off in civilian areas, and. Uh, it, it yeah. was it was on the news, you know, almost nightly. It was pretty scary. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. And and you know, um, I'm sure you know a lot of people would think uh, would say, "Oh, you're just saying that." But believe me, uh, I had a friend who was in, uh, well, two friends actually, that was in the middle of a big explosion at the oh, exhibition at Olympia in uh, Olympia in in London. They ended up un- under the, under their show table. <laughs> they, did, right. they didn't know what hit them, yeah. Right. And I was driving up Park Lane. It was about uh, two o'clock in the morning. I was driving up Park Lane, and I I didn't want to drive down Oxford Street, you know, because uh, I found a shortcut. And this, I turned right uh, just as I was coming to Marmalage, and as as my car as she got on that street, the whole of the fucking Cumberland Hotel went up. And my car jumped in the air. I mean, it was like suddenly, you know, it was like a a ski jumper. I mean, my wheels weren't touching the road, you know. And, uh, you know, my natural curiosity thought, oh, wow, better get. And and you thought, no, don't do that because what they often did was plant a bomb, you know, Uh some yards away, like 50 yards away. Yeah. Another one. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, the Cumberland Hotel went up, which is a huge hotel in the corner of. Of Marble Arch, you know. This is my last question about Barry. Um, okay. It's a bit of it's a bit of a nerdy trivia question, and I emphasize oh. uh, nerd because this question comes from Stephen, who's the only nerd ever in the Shut up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, I just said I'm the only bigger nerd than you, so uh, I'll, I'll take that on the uh, on the arches. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, this this is a question that everyone would probably want to know whenever they see that photo of Stanley sitting next to Ryan O'Neill, and yeah. there's speculation as to what uh, Ryan has strapped to his uh, face and the tank that's next to it. I I believe it's a mm. I, it's an oxygen mask. It, it, now, yes. can you confirm? Yeah, okay. Was that what yes. was going on in that scene? Because Stanley's got the script in front of him or some documents and. He's looking into the camera with his, uh, you know, hand on his on his cheek, and he's just kind of a a little yeah. perturbed, a little. What are your recollections mm. of that? 
Uh, well, I wasn't there when when that actually happened, but okay. you know, the oxygen the oxygen is one hundred percent true, and it was something that, um, in my own personal experience, you know, uh, I was we were very 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 heavy period of post production when we were into advertising and, and marketing and what have you, which believe me is a fucking jungle. I mean, it really is because we dealt with every office individually yeah. and, you know, throughout the world, you know, and I, I, I suddenly got this crashing, crashing migraine, migraine, as yeah, you call yeah. it. and I just said, this was like oh, nine o'clock at night. And I said, Stanley, I got to go home because, you know, it just kills me to even open my eyes. And he said, no, it's okay, Leon, sit down here. And so I sat down and then he dragged out this oxygen mask in this tank, stuck it, the mask over my, my, my face, turned on the oxygen. He said, now breathe deeply. And I did for about, you know, five, 10 minutes and, uh, and gone magic, you know, yeah, magic, yeah. which I was a little bit pissed off about because I really did want to go home. And go you didn't bed. get to go home. But, um, <laughs> I didn't get to go home. No, but, uh, but Stan, Stanley, Stanley actually used it himself too, you know, and, um, well, I'm, glad you're, I'm I mean, glad you're clearing this up. Uh, uh, no pun intended, because I think a lot of people would look at that picture and assume that Ryan O'Neill was just being very precious about, uh, uh, his his situation and uh, oh I, I'm the lead actor I require this and that and I'm no, glad no, to hear no, that, no. yeah that it's not the case so no 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 not the case at all because and you got to remember I mean we were in, it was one so hot that summer you couldn't have you know you couldn't I mean the the heat inside those rooms however big they are was excruciating sometimes and. Of course, you were spending all that time. In it. You were hammered when you were working on set, yeah, you know? Yeah, and yeah. you've got to remember, Ryan, Ryan is in every, just about almost every single scene in that yep. movie. Yep. I mean, he carries that movie. And, you know, there were times, of course, when, you know, it, it, was, it was too much. People could feel it. I mean, Marissa felt it sometimes, you know. Shelley in The Shining, it'll be a seed for you now. And uh, see, yeah, yeah. and um, you know, she felt it at, at times, you know, where we just couldn't, you know, go on. But it wasn't. It was as much the sort of physical exhaustion of working in a place where, you know, you know, you were there twelve, thirteen, fourteen hours shooting well, under these it, lines. That's a testament you know? to your to your craft, because you know, one thing I always. Uh, feel I have to correct people is if I see in print someone saying so-and-so was a real trooper and they spell it T-R-O-O-P-E-R. -E I have to yeah, correct yeah, them. Yeah, and say, yeah. It has nothing to do with the state police. It's T-R-O-U-P-E-R and it's in reference to acting troops who have always said the exactly. show must go on. And yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Etymology seems to be a strong point with you. Yeah. <laughs> God help me, but I'm a, I'm a word me. nerd. Good, good. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yes. Me too. Me too. I'm I'm a word nerd. So, Stephen, you're not a bigger nerd than me after all. I take it all back. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> all righty then. Well... 
There you have the second part of our series of conversations that we were fortunate to have with Leon. Coming soon, we're going to hear him talk about his experiences working on The Shining, Full Metal Jacket, Eyes Wide Shut, and of course, his long career working side-by-side with Stanley Kubrick. Thanks, as always, to our producer, editor, and chief researcher, Stephen Rigg, and also to the awesome Mr. Adam Rakoff, producer of the Full Metal Jacket Diary app, and our good friend, James Marinaccio, from the Stanley Kubrick Appreciation Society, who joined us in the conversation. Also, thanks to James for contributing some really great questions for me to ask Leon, so I could end up sounding smarter than I really am. Okay, of course, do check out the Criterion Blu-ray release of Barry Lyndon if you're able to. And if not, at least pick it up on DVD, Laserdisc, VHS, Super 8, Betamax, whatever. And for your oral pleasure, that's A-U-R-A-L, pick up Barry Lyndon, the original motion picture soundtrack from Warner Brothers Records, available now at all Sam Goody's, Woolworth's, Corvette's, Caldor, Tower Records, and wherever A-Tracks and cassettes are sold. Don't forget to stop by SCAS, the Stanley Kubrick Appreciation Society on Schmacebook, where Kubrick fans all over the planet gather day and night to keep current on the latest news in Stanley, share their enthusiasm, needlessly argue over subjective and interpretive meaning in every frame of film the man ever shot. I'm kidding. Relax. Just a joke, people. Oi but also to seek answers to the eternal questions like, why wasn't he given a middle name? And will we ever get to see deleted scenes from the seafarers or the flying padre? I'm your host, Jason Furlong, thanking you once again for tuning in to Kubrick's Universe. Don't forget to give our show a rating and a review so we can keep the new episodes coming like hotcakes and syrup on a sunny Sunday morn. Thanks and catch you later, everybody. Lord Bullingdon, cock your pistol and get ready to fire. One, two, It's Kubrick's universe. We just live in it. We have taken very thorough precautions in this podcast against broadcasting anything which might only be attributed to human error. Thank you for listening to the Stanley Kubrick Podcast.